0: Shalom Mishboka. Welcome to Kadima. Our podcast today will be standards in leadership. Numbers 15 verse 16 says the same Torah and standard of judgment will apply to both you and a foreigner living with you. Standard in the Hebrew is Mishpat, which means judgment or an act of deciding a case, a court, a seat of judgment, process, procedure, litigation before judges, justice, Rectitude, attributes of God or man ordinance, decision and law Right, privilege, due Your legal due, proper fitting Measure, fitness, custom, manner, plan Standards We've been given divine kingdom standards Shaul said in Romans 12 verse 3 For I'm telling every single one of you Through the grace that has been given to me Not to have exaggerated ideas About your own importance Now, that's nothing to do with standards But that's a good bit of advice And, uh, and Shaul Certainly knew this. I, I love that when he first started being in the ministry, if you will, as an ambassador, and emissary, he said about the other ones, these so called super emissaries, kind of, uh, you know, like he had a little uh, rub against them. But at the end, he said he was the least of them. He was the slave of Messiah. So it's important that we don't have exaggerated ideas about our own importance because it's not about you and me, it's about him, the most high God of Israel. But the verse goes on to say, instead, develop a sober estimate of yourself based on the standard which God has given to each of you, namely, trust. These standards are specifically outlined in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1-7. through Here's a statement you can trust. Anyone aspiring to be a congregation leader is seeking a worthwhile work. A congregation leader must be above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, orderly, hospitable, and able to teach— He must not drink excessively or get into fights. Rather, he must be kind and gentle. He must not be a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, having children who obey him with all proper respect. For if a man can't manage his own household, how will he be able to care for God's Messianic community? He must not be a new believer because he might become puffed up with pride and thus fall into the same judgment as did the adversary. Furthermore, he must be well regarded by outsiders so that he won't fall into disgrace and into the adversary's trap. We have another outline in Titus 1, verses 6 through 9. Shaul says a leader must be blameless, husband to one wife, with believing children who do not have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. For an overseer, as someone entrusted with God's affairs, must be blameless. He must not be self-willed or quick-tempered. He must not drink excessively, get into fights, or be greedy for dishonest gain. On the contrary, he must be hospitable, devoted to good, sober mindedness, uprightness, holiness, and self control. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message that agrees with the doctrine, so that by a sound teaching, he'll be able to exhort and encourage and also to refute those who speak against it. So, the kingdom of Adonai has very specific standards for leaders and specific ethical and moral standards for everyone as found in Torah. I found strong similarities between the kingdom and my time spent in the navy who also had strict standards of conduct, performance, and operations. When a sailor made chief, that's E-7 and above, the Navy has a unique ritual in that we go through uh, indoctrination, if you will. Uh, and then you change your uniform, you're, you're, you're in a different leadership class in the Navy. And so when that sailor made chief, when he put on those khakis, we transferred them to another ship, to a new command. And you would think, why would they do that? Well, because it prevents peer leaders. These are leaders who identify with their previous shipmates, peer and co-workers, who know that that person as an equal on a first name basis. So we call that undue familiarity. So before he made chief, that sailor was just one of the sailors. And that's undue familiarity. See, the problem is once he made chief, they wouldn't refer to him as the leader or chief. They would still come back and call him by his first name and treat him unduly. Undue familiarity means developing or attempting to develop an intimate personal or financial relationship with an individual or otherwise failing to maintain an appropriate professional relationship with the individual. That often then leads to inappropriate sexual relationships between those in charge and their subordinates if they're different sexes, which should never occur. Peer leader previous associates will still interact with this new leader as one of their own, as part of the team, not the leader of the team. Those who are in this situation rarely correct or rebuke bad performance as the person was their friend. They won't speak the truth to them. They still act like one of the team, vice leading the team. They'll even complain about the command management or leadership, even though they are the leader. They'll divulge sensitive insider information off the record, socialize with their team vice lead, and partake of complaining and bad-mouthing the organization. To effectively lead, the person should be brought in from the outside as the leader, then set standards as a leader to prevent undue familiarity. This is why we transferred new chiefs and new commands in the Navy. Then we have ambivalent leaders who know they're in charge, but don't know how to lead, or they're too timid to lead. They don't know how to use their authority and poorly allocate their time. These leaders avoid delegating tasks. They rarely make a decision, and they lead with great inconsistency. They fear pushback from the team while hiding behind policies, rarely bringing solutions to the table in order to complete the goals and missions of the team. Being ambivalent diminishes the leader's voice and ability to optimize one's positive impact on the team and the organization. Then there are confident leaders. Confident leadership means tackling the difficult conversations and solving the hard problems head-on. Confident leaders don't necessarily seek conflict, but they realize that working through conflict is necessary to solve problems and get results. Confidence helps a leader tackle any and all difficulties because they have strong beliefs and trust in who they are and what they're doing. Confident leaders have integrity, character, and courage. They have great communication skills. They are influencers. They have a strong self-awareness. They retain a teachable spirit and have a grateful attitude. You won't hear a confident leader complaining or saying something that's impossible, Confident leaders are able to step outside their comfort zone to complete goals and missions They communicate and work from a more powerful and inspiring perspective. Leaders who recognize the power of their own voice while simultaneously respecting the voices of their team push the limits of high performance. Let's look at the qualities of standards in leadership. First, we have to set high standards. Every leader must establish solid high standards with clear expectations for high performance and a standard of excellence. These expectations need to align with and focus in direction of the ministry, your organization, or your business. And we call this, in other terms, the spirit of excellence. It's desiring to do the very best because all that we do, we're doing for the kingdom. If you're inside a ministry, a congregation, or if you're doing a business on the outside, both should reflect kingdom standards and ethics. In both the kingdom and in the world, to transition from good to exceptional requires extraordinary supernatural efforts and high standards coupled with that spirit of excellence. It demands more time, commitment, and energy than most have with team cooperation and support. Transitioning from good to great requires extraordinary effort there tends to be a willingness to settle for good or average because that's easier and requires a lot less effort. It's easier. We used to have a saying you hear in the government, it's good enough for government work. That's not good enough for the kingdom. That's why many travel this path and settle for mediocrity. In Colossians 3, verses 24 and 25, whatever work you do, put yourself into it as those who were serving not merely other people, but the Lord. Remember that as your reward, you'll receive the inheritance from the Lord. You are slaving for the Lord, for the Messiah. In its basic form, work standards are a clear set of instructions, which makes it easy for a task, a process, or actions to be done in a consistent, timely manner over and over again. It sounds simple, but it requires specific details of skill sets necessary to perform the process or tasks. It's more than a memo, policy, or how-to guide. Ministry, work, or business standards must strive to establish improvement initiatives by those who are doing the task or action. It also requires empowerment support from the leadership to provide all the tools necessary, such as required skill sets, training, and all material items necessary to reach excellence in whatever they're doing. Work standards are a way to capture best practices of process for a specific point in time. They should be written down so all know the process and prevent failure in any area. In the submarine, we had an extremely detailed reactor plant manual, the directive in how to run that nuclear reactor. We had the standard operating procedures for the ship overall, which details how our day-to-day routines, such as diving the ship, surfacing the ship, daily housekeeping procedures, and making our water, air, and sanitary tanks uh, dry. Then we had emergency operating procedures that covered every catastrophe you could possibly experience with immediate actions to be performed to limit the scope and size of the issue and save the ship and crew. Securing ship's ventilation. This also included the captain's standing order, which filled in any gaps. These were all routinely updated as the configuration of the ship changed as well as its operations. This concept of standards, though not necessarily as robust, must be considered for every ministry or business. Standards also include behavior, conduct, and standards for correction or punishment for any and all unbiblical or unethical conduct. There must be a standard protocol in dealing with sin or moral failure in leadership. Reconciliation and restoration are always the goal, always. Dependent upon the issue, it may be Uh, A six-month stepping down from the position while engaging in counseling and healing uh, to even possibly a permanent removal and or cessation of employment if it's a severe moral failure. There must be a plan and process, and there are no shortcuts. Another critical point is clear, transparent communication with staff, the congregation, and the employees. They don't need to know the whole story, but they do need to know the situation is being handled and resolved, and it's most likely several of them already knew the issue. These standards must be created by both leadership and those who have the understanding and skill sets, such as your team members, that are performing the tasks and doing the work. You certainly want to employ the best work practices to ensure the standards are doable and work. As I shared a few moments ago, your standards must be adaptable, fluid, and able to be updated and improved to reflect new processes, new equipment, new people, and even new understandings of best practices for your ministry or business. This allows for what we call redundancy. Listen, we've revamped, rebranded Congregation Zion Six seven times in the last twenty-three years. It's never ending. As we grow, as the world grows, we must be able to adapt and grow with it. Listen, we started out with <laughs> VHS tapes for the video. We had cassette tapes for the audio. And when we began ministry, we didn't have a web page because the internet wasn't around yet. It's been a lot of technology increases in the last twenty-three years, and as I said, it's never ending. As we grow, as the world changes, we must be able to adapt and grow with it. For standards, communications is the key. The goal of a work standard are to clearly and concisely capture the process as the actions necessary to complete a task or work performance. It's critical that those who are performing or doing the process be the ones to initiate and improve the process to create an updated work standard. It still must be confined within your ministry, business, or organization and follow all applicable guidelines and requirements. Remember... Work standards should be appropriately titled, be written clearly, be accessible, and be redundant in case of sickness or loss. It's a wise step. A career development agency gives a great outline for workplace and ministry standards. The impacts of rules, they say. Rules are required to bring all the staff, employees, and volunteers together and establish equality amongst all. It promotes cooperation and discipline. It would have negative impact on the workflow if even one or two of its employees do not follow. It pushes everyone in the team working towards a common goal. It strengthens the growth of the ministry, the business, and the company, and it does not allow any work to be incomplete. It is required to follow the laws of the state and bring in compliance for legal matters. Critical in ministering counseling is almost all states have a mandatory reporting laws for confession of any crime uh, against youth, children, or sexual abuse. Another aspect is to show compliance to safety rules that is mandatory to protect the workers while they're working. It is to bring in positive image and create a better perception about the ministry, your business, or your company. It's necessary to keep the ministry, business, or company running smoothly, even the simplest of things like established office hours and the phones being answered. It helps in making proper decisions and making the process simpler. It helps in allowing employees and staff to know what they have to do, thus preventing chaos and confusion. In the event of changes to ministry or businesses, rules will need to be amended to bring in change. It has to be updated and comprehensive to accommodate all the situations as much as possible for making proper and correct decisions. Learning the rules are done by observation. How biblical in Torah is this? From the content, it is obvious that these are mostly learnt by observing your counterparts. Let us see what those rules are. One, leaving for the day. You might experience your teammates wanting to leave even after working time. It's just because the boss is not left, and no one leaves until he/she gets up from the seat. If such is the case, then you need to consult with your boss and decide what you can do. Make your boss aware that you'll complete your work and leave. Number two, an open door. You might be aware that every workplace tells that open door is always open to share views. In actual situations, it's not always standing true. The CEO is not always ready to accept or most of the times not available. Make sure if anyone has done before you, make a move. Three, the dress code. You need to decide what dress should be worn at the workplace. It needs to be decent and neat and appropriate. Moreover, by following a formal dress code, it's better as it gives respect and maintains dignity. Number four, the importance of participation. Being a part of a team does not mean that you need to attend every meeting or gathering announced or respond to emails. Meetings must count and be productive. Too many meetings are worthless and accomplish nothing. When I was in the military and the Navy, we used to have meetings to schedule our meetings to know when we are going to have meetings. It can be overdone and redundant and waste time. But there are instances when you need to get together and discuss plans. Just make sure you know where to put your limits and when do you need to. Five, work-life balancing. Get to know the period you could take breaks to spend time for vacations as part of providing work-life balance for its employees. Don't place your family on the ministry altar of sacrifice. It's God, spouse, family, then work. And so too many ministries and too many ministers, too many pastors, too many messianic rabbis have lost their positions or come into moral failure because they don't keep work in balance. God, spouse, family, then work. Rules of work to never ignore. Rules are required to protect both ministries and businesses from litigation to maintain work-life balance. Through proper execution and implementation of rules, employees are protected and made aware of their responsibilities. It indirectly leads to growth. The 20 rules that you as an employee, staff member, or in many cases a volunteer in ministry must observe are, one, maintain punctuality. Whether it's opening the shop for business or reaching your desk at corporate companies, maintaining punctuality is critical for the growth of the business. Always assure that you reach at that time specified. Number two, follow the rules. Like I said earlier in the article, rules are laid down for employees to abide by. It's for the benefit of them as well as the company. You have a problem with a certain aspect, talk it out with your supervisor to know how to handle it. Number three, Know the operating procedures. You may be assigned to work on a process or on certain equipment, then make sure you've gone through the operating procedures and know what you're doing. By doing so, you make others aware about it as well. Know the dress code. You need to wear your attire based on your profession. Don't overdo or make a clown of yourself. Dressing to the type of work is best as it creates an impression about you. Most of the time, formal dress code is always welcome. Number five, observing sediment. This is a scenario observed when hiring or giving promotion. It's better to not bring in family issues between work or else it would harm the image of the company and or the business and the ministry. Being objective. It may seem difficult to be objective in all instances, but if you need to see growth, then try allocating jobs or certain timelines to keep track. This will help in the growth of the ministry, your business, or your company. Keep emotions in check. As this is a workplace, it's advisable to keep your emotion in check. Don't cry over petty issues, become enraged or angry or joke too frequently at your desk. You'll lose your credibility in the long run. Number eight, maintain confidentiality. Any workplace has a secrecy and you're being a part of the work culture should know where and how to maintain that confidentiality. In ministry, this is absolutely critical as we're guided by both biblical law and moral law and national law that you cannot share what's said between you and a congregate. There are instances when your leader would share a moment that is required to be kept as a secret. You need to understand the importance and the depth of this. Number nine, be smart and work. Handling your daily tasks is your priority, and you need to know which task is to be prioritized. Besides, work hard, and you're sure to be rewarded. But don't try to shy away and be lazy. Be attentive and smart in your work, always. Number ten, don't misuse. Any company would provide resources to get their work done with ease. You should ensure that you do not misuse those resources for your personal benefits. Even if you're in charge of office equipment, don't consider to flick out a piece or two as the numbers may be unnoticeable. Number 11, follow ethics. Being assigned to a specific job means you're to execute that task without glitches. There are certain ethics to be followed at workplace you must take care to abide by them. Number 12, clean your workplace. Maintain your workplace by cleaning your area of work. Try to implement the 5S scheme and abide by it. Have a clean space around you, gives you more inspiration to work and impacts with your positivity. And I'm working on that one. I'm getting better as the years go by. I tend to be the uh, messy guy with stuff laying all over, and I got to catch myself and pick up and neat my desk often. Number 13. Limit visitors. While at workplace, do not entertain visitors coming to your company frequently. You have to refrain from allowing frequent visits of your friends and family members. Inform them about it, and this helps to increase your productivity. Number 14. Adhere to break schedule. Every workplace defines a specific time or schedule for having lunch or coffee breaks. It's always good to abide by those time schedules. Don't take liberty of breaking rules for such activities. Number 15. Maintain hygiene. As restrooms are provided each workplace, it is our duty to ensure that the restrooms are maintained with hygiene. Take care as the hygiene of restrooms as you take care of other workspaces that you're assigned to. 16. Maintain relationships. Your workplace is like any other family, so try to maintain proper relations with everyone. Keeping a healthy relationship with everyone helps you to grow and learn the work process. 17. Avoid long hours. Prioritizing your work and knowing its importance could complete your work on time. Moreover, by managing your time for the task, you need to complete the work during specified working hours. By staying back and extending your working time will affect your work life balance and bring in stress. So avoid long working hours at home. Read before you sign. Number 18. There are many documents that you may have to sign for each assignment or project. It's better to read through before signing any documents as you could get committed to something you didn't intend to. 19. This is really critical. Use of email and social media. You'll be assigned an email and ID for official purposes, and you need to follow protocols. Refrain from using your email for personal use. Many times people get to use them and get tempted to misuse, but it's your duty not to allow personal matters to be sent via official ID. And you have to know that in social media, what you post, what you put out there stays out there forever. As a representative of God, either in business or in ministry, you have to glean and be very careful of what you post and ensure that it's not offensive to anybody or you're not creating any division because we serve the God of unity and your your post should not bring any divisiveness anywhere to anybody. Biblical, ethical, and responsible use of social media. Understanding that we live in a world that's highly connected by social media and virtual technology, leaders must maintain appropriate boundaries, behavior, and a biblical worldview in a virtual world. Ephesians 4 29 says, let no harmful language come from your mouth, only good words that are helpful in meeting the needs of words that will benefit those who hear them. So we adhere to safe biblical practices in our use of digital communication as well as social media and networking sites. Again, to not be divisive, argumentative, or polarizing in what we post or share. Listen, what would Yeshua do? I believe he'd use social media to share the kingdom. All that we do should be done to build the kingdom, to encourage and edify, but don't fall into arguments and foolish controversies. And number 20, maintaining equipment. Every workplace provides equipment to be used for executing the task efficiently. Whatever the equipment, it is advisable to see that the equipment is maintained and in case of any breakdown, called in for service engineers to repair on time. These standards truly define truly exceptional leaders. These are the leaders that we aspire to be and who inspire others. These are qualities of exceptional leadership, help leaders move beyond a peer leader or hesitant leader to become a true, confident leader. Shalom Nishpochak.